Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Do you affirm that the testimony you're about to give before the committee will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? I do. America is close to making history in our highest Court. Thank you for joining us for this latest episode of Real Talk, Real Solutions. I'm your host, Ginger Gadsden, and today we have a very special guest. Today, Justice James E.C. Perry joins me to talk about the nation's first black female Supreme Court nominee, Judge Katanji Brown Jackson, the importance of breaking barriers and rising to the top. And it is something that Justice Perry knows a lot about. In 2000, Justice Perry became the first African-American appointed to the 18th Judicial Circuit. Nine years later, he was appointed to the Florida Supreme Court. The Criminal Justice Center in Seminole County is naming the courthouse annex in his honor. So you know you're an important person when they start putting your names on buildings. Judge Perry, it is so nice to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining us for this momentous occasion because we are on the, the precipice uh, of history. And you know, a lot of, we can't talk about what's happening now until we talk about what happened before, because Justice Thurgood Marshall was the first black man and Justice Clarence Thomas is the second. But Judge Jackson would become the first black female to serve on the Supreme Court. Why is that representation so important? Well, it's good to have a diversity, diverse viewpoint from a female standpoint, because we know they're the smarter sex. And, uh, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That's the right thing to say out loud. <laughs> but more importantly, uh, black females have been in the forefront of black progress throughout the history of this nation. And it's important they have a voice at an important table. And if, you know, you're not at the table, you could be on the menu. Mm. So why do you think it has taken this long in the history of the U.S. Supreme Court, here we have our first black female being nominated. Why do you think it has taken this long? Huh. Well, uh, do you want the real answer? Do you want the... This is called real talk. Okay. <laughs> so we do because people need to know. People always want to know why we talk about the first this black person in well, the first and you know we we all crave the day where we don't have to say that but why well, has it taken this long well this country is is still has uh, remnants of Jim Crow and you go back to enslaved people and uh, the feeling of superiority and the feeling is that blacks are still inferior no matter how intelligent you are so it's this hard for them to reckon with it some of them call her an affirmative action uh, appointment. Uh, I was told, Jim, you got this because you're black. And I said, it's about time I got something because I'm black because I've been kept out of so many things because I'm black. Yeah. So, I mean, we just need to face the fact of life sure. in America. And even with her credentials, though, people are still saying that she's only, because President Biden did say, you know, if elected, I am going to nominate the first black woman to the U.S. Supreme Court. So in everyone's mind, 
it was going to be somebody who wasn't qualified and just just a black woman. And this is certainly not the case. If the truth be told, blacks have to be twice as good to sit in the seat that a rookie white person could sit in. Her credentials are far superior to any of the last seven or eight appointees to the U.S. Supreme Court. So they have to come up with something, some reason why, well, did you see her LSAT scores, really? <laughs> uh, did you see her trans? They didn't ask about anybody else. So let's be real and talk and speak truth to, to fact, to power. I mean, it's been a, a I think there have been six females on the Supreme Court, but she would be the sixth. And all the rest of them have been white males except for two since the founding of this nation. What does that tell you? That it's time. It's time. <laughs> it's time. Past time. Yeah, it is past time. And when you look at someone like her with her experience, how do you feel she will do during this confirmation process? And I know this is going to be online for a long, long time, and we're talking about it, and it's really day one of her confirmation hearing. How do you feel she's doing, and how do you... I think she's doing very, very well, and, and it bodes well for her to have had trial court experience, mm -hmm. because most appellate judges have not had trial court experience. Their, their only uh, connection with trial courts is uh, based upon what somebody told them, what they read in the newspaper, or on briefs and et cetera. But to actually having been there to see how it works, because when I was on the Supreme Court, I was one of the few justices that had trial court experience. Mm -hmm. They had no idea how it really worked. They could only surmise how they thought it worked. But when I told them, well, no, that doesn't work this way. If you do this, you're going you're gonna to bring the whole system down. They said, oh, I didn't know that. Of course they didn't know because they didn't have the experience. You know, and she mentioned that today. She said that she wants to make sure that even the, defen the defendants understand how court actually works. And there's so many people who don't understand that. And if you don't understand a system, then you tend to blame the system, whereas it could actually give you a little bit of power if you know how it actually works. So that's really important. Well, it's important, but... I'm not sure how realistic that is because it takes, you know, three years of law school and then a decade of practice to really uh, gain that level of, of knowledge mm -hmm. of how the system actually works. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's good to try it. Sure, sure. And, you know, it, we were also talking about something about your background because we are saying it's important to start young. And you said, well, you didn't have that modeled for you, so you started a little bit later in life. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got started and what your life was like before? Like your parents are, you know, Judge Jackson talks about her parents. One, you know, her parents are educators. Her dad is an attorney, and that's where she got a love for the law. But you had a different background. Absolutely, it helps if you have role models. Uh, I had role models of parents who were good people, but my father had a first grade education, my mother a third. I didn't know any lawyers, um, had no, I, no hopes or dreams of being a lawyer, or a judge for that matter, uh, until I, uh, I was drafted in the military, and I was the first lieutenant when Dr. King was killed, and that's the night I decided to attend law school. And I still didn't know what law school was about, didn't know any lawyers, but I needed the credibility to, to try to continue Dr. King's fight, and law would give me the credibility to do it. So. I had no idea that, uh, no hopes and mm. dreams of being a judge or a lawyer. And 
It's made all the difference in the world. Yeah, yeah. And I want to hear, I want to roll some sound from uh, Judge Jackson. She says, rising to the very top in her field, she says her journey started at home. And we have some sound uh, of her saying how important it was for her parents to be role models. My father, in particular, bears responsibility for my interest in the law. When I was four, we moved back to Miami so that he could be a full-time law student. And we lived on the campus of the University of Miami Law School. During those years, my mother pulled double duty, working as the sole breadwinner of our family while also guiding and inspiring four-year-old me. My very earliest memories are of watching my father study. He had his stack of law books on the kitchen table while I sat across from him with my stack of coloring books. My parents taught me that unlike the many barriers that they had had to face growing up, my path was clearer so that if I worked hard and I believed in myself in America, I could do anything or be anything I wanted to be. Do you think what she just said is, is true? Yes, to a degree. Uh, my experience, I was born in, in apartheid America where there was absolute separation and segregation. So that hope of being a decision maker was something you couldn't even imagine. Yeah. Um, but it's true that now it's a little different today. And I think uh, over time, we won't have to worry about people being the first or the second. It'd be just a matter of course. But that's going to take, it won't be in my lifetime or my children's lifetime. But don't you think, you know, when you just talked a little bit about your background, your, your dad a first grade education, your mom a third grade education, and here you are rising to Florida's highest court, right? Yes. And so, and now you have children yes. who are attorneys. Yes. And so we look at uh, Judge Jackson, and she said, you know, her parents grew up in the Jim Crow era. And here she is. They have a front row seat to her and the nomination process to the U.S. Supreme Court, the highest court in our land. And it feels like, wow, that's changed. That's really happened quickly. But you say the result of that won't be realized for some time. No, it won't, because she's, she's being attacked now even before the confirmation. Uh, the, 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 the attacks are hypocritical. They are politically motivated. Um, and it, it, they try to diminish who she really is mm -hmm. and her capabilities. Um, I mean, everybody knows. I was taught you had to be twice as good to be equal. So that's, that's, that's my frame of reference. And my children understood that because they, I didn't have to tell them, they watched how their parents operated. Yeah. So they saw that modeled at home. Precisely. Which is what Judge Jackson is saying that she saw modeled at home Precisely. as well. Yeah. Precisely. Because I didn't even know I was going to college. I didn't know before I, until 30 days before I went. That you were going. That I was going because my plan was to join the military and go to college from there. But my kids knew that they didn't have a choice. It wasn't whether or not you're going. The only question is which one. Yeah, yeah. That is, wow. That, that's, that's really powerful. Because it could have been, had you not, things could be different. Been it would be a different. lot different, yeah. Very different, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. what do you say to, you know, your kids are, are blessed enough to have you in the home, you and your wife in the home, as role models. What do you say to younger kids who may not be afforded both parents or even both parents who are, you know, uh, educated? 
but they still have dreams and they still have hopes. What do you say to young people who might one day say, I want to be a judge, not just a lawyer, I want to be a judge? Because Judge Jackson said she knew that she wanted to be a judge from an early age. That's amazing because being a judge entails more than you wanting to be one. It's, it's a political process that the right person has to be in office to appoint you. And they have to have the philosophy that diversity is important. To some people, diversity is not important. Matter of fact, it's a damnable word that they don't even want to utter. And in some places, in high places, you can't utter the word diversity. Why do you think it's become such a divisive word? Because it means that you're taking, their, in their minds, you're taking the power that they rightly belong to them because they started the country. So whatever was, seat that someone who looks like one of us has at the table is a, a seat that would have gone to someone well, else. I mean, that's, that's what the uh, Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, that's what that was all about because of that. That's what Jim Crow was about. It was about keeping, uh, that's what voter suppression is still about. Uh, it's about keeping people from voting, having the voting power to elect somebody to be in charge of things, to mm -hmm. make things happen. You know, we are also, it's March, and we're celebrating Women's History Month. And, you know, you have, you have a lovely wife, you have a lovely daughter, and we are on the cusp of seeing history made with Judge Jackson. How does that make you feel? I'm happy it's finally about to happen. It's going to happen. Uh, it's going to be close. It won't, it hopefully will be bipartisan, but it probably won't be uh, because, you know, that's just the nature of politics in this nation today. I think we're, we're probably a very divided nation, and it's time for us to come together as Americans, not as Republicans or Democrats, not as blue, red, or, or white, but as the United States of America. I know it's been said before, and it might sound trivial, but that's the ideal that the forefathers talked about, even though they weren't talking about us. Mm -hmm. uh, but in their infinite wisdom, that was a good thought to have, and we're still trying to realize it. Yeah. Do you think it will be realized? Well, like Moses said, I've been to the mountaintop. I might not get there with you, but uh, you know it'll happen I don't know when, another 100 years. God, I hope not. I hope, I hope it doesn't take that long. I but, do too, but <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, how long have we been out of servitude? Uh, hasn't well, been, I mean, it depends on how you look at it. In, in historical references, a blink of an eye, precisely. you know. <laughs> With a blink of an eye, we're dead. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Oh, my gosh. Oh, goodness. Okay, so we got to end this on something a little more upbeat. I, you know, we are always so thankful for people like you to share your insight and your perspective on things because you've lived it, you've walked it, and we all learn from it, and we're better for it, and we are better as a society because of people like you who have paved the way. And I hope you get a chance in your retirement to at least enjoy some of that. You know they say you should give people their flowers while they're still here. So I hope you are getting lots of flowers, lots of accolades for everything that you've accomplished and everything that you've done. Because as I said, when they start putting your name on, on buildings, you've done something. <laughs> well, to your point earlier when you said uh kids who don't have that role model at home, I'm the chairman of the board of my alma mater, and we're getting a lot of first-generation 
college students, and we're trying to inculcate that into them. Yeah. So that's that's another way of doing it. If your parents aren't there, I mean, if I had waited for my parents, I mean, where would I have been? Yeah. Um, so, it, but education is an individual thing. It has to come from within. You have to want it yourself, and you can get it, irrespective of what your conditions were when you were growing up. Well, you definitely wanted it, and you went out and got it. So. We appreciate you and, and thank you so much for being here today. And thank you for giving your time too. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. This has been great. I hope you've enjoyed it. I I we'll have you back. We'll have you back. Right. We'll have you back. <laughs> All right. This has been another edition of Real Talk, Real Solutions. I'm your host, Ginger Gadsden. We'll see you next time. Thank you, everyone.